Hello and welcome. My name is Alice and this is the Backtracker History Show podcast, where I ask you to join me on a meander down through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. Most of these podcasts have been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. And one of the great things about this podcast is that I can go into more detail about each story because there are no time constraints. And it's really easy to show your support just by spreading the word, leaving reviews and sharing with all your family and friends. It really does help. If you want to get in touch with me with show ideas, comments or information, you can via Twitter or Facebook by using at UK the capital B, capital T, and a capital UK, or emailing me at info at backtracker.co.uk. Now, on with the show. Hello, and welcome back to the Backtracker History Podcast. You may have already noticed that this isn't Alice speaking. This is Nikki Drews from the Macabre London Podcast. I'm standing in for Alice today because, unfortunately, she's damaged her arm in a nasty fall, and as such, she can't edit at the moment. So instead, she's asked me to share with you an episode from the Macabre London archives. So today, I've got the Valentine's episode that I did for a Macabre mini-mystery that I'd like to share with you, and I hope it's a decent substitute for your regularly scheduled programming. The Macabre London podcast and YouTube show have been going since about 2017, And if you've never heard of it before, then hopefully this will be a bit of an introduction for you. And if you do like it, then please pop over to my podcast page or my YouTube channel and come and join the fun there. I put out an episode every fortnight, one which is a London-based show, and then the next one is a macabre mini-mystery from around the world. So I hope this episode makes up for the fact that Alice isn't around this week, but she hopes to be back soon once she's all healed up. So without further ado, let's get into this slightly now backdated episode of Macabre London. And I hope to see some of you popping by my podcast soon. Thanks very much and enjoy. Hi everybody and welcome to a Valentine's Day special episode. You know I couldn't let this joyous holiday of love, lasciviousness and lust pass by without comment. So today we're going to delve into a story which may just make you think twice about tucking into that delicious box of chocolates that's been gifted to you by your secret admirer. Or it might just leave you thankful that you didn't receive any in the first place. Today we take a trip to the charming seaside town of Brighton, about an hour and a half's drive away from London, and explore the tale of the chocolate cream murderer. For many, a glorious heart-shaped box filled with chocolates is a definitive sign of someone's capitalist-infused love for another. The individual sweets, all delicately handmade, or machine-made depending on your budget, I'm not here to judge, are a delightful sight to behold. But what if one of those sweets had enough poison inside it that it may kill you, and you were unknowingly playing chocolate Russian roulette? In the seaside town of Margate and Kent, Christiana Edmonds was born in 1829 into a middle-class family, her father William having been an architect. William designed all of Margate's iconic landmarks, and if you happen to have a £20 note to hand, you can even see one of his creations upon it, 
the Margate Lighthouse. As a result of William's success, the family weren't short on cash, and they never struggled financially, but illness plagued them. Many family members, including Christiana's father and her siblings, suffered from mental health conditions, branding the family with the term of hereditary insanity. And in a time before the NHS, when only the wealthy could afford the limited and not particularly effective treatments on offer, many of her family were sent to institutions, where they would be left until such time as someone decided they were better, or they'd be sent to stay there indefinitely. Christiana was no exception to the blight that ran through her family, and with a good old-fashioned diagnosis of the very descriptive hysteria, she was passed from doctor to doctor in the hope that she wouldn't end up incarcerated inside an asylum herself. Sadly, whilst Christiana was growing up, her father and two of her siblings passed away from their illnesses, her brother whilst in an asylum, and her sister allegedly committing suicide. This left the 14-year-old Christiana with just one sister and her mother for company, and the whole family were grief-stricken over the losses they'd suffered in such a short time. To extricate themselves from the family home, which was becoming emptier and filled with nothing but sadness, the now much smaller family decided to up and leave to Brighton, another seaside town about 100 miles away from Margate, in the mid-1860s. Due to the money that had been left behind by her father, Christiana was in a fortunate enough position that she didn't have to work, and as such could live a relatively charmed life in Brighton. However, without much to do, her mind was left to wander, and as such, our story continues to unfold. Down the street from where Christiana lived, Dr Charles Beard was a practising physician. It's not quite known how the two came to meet, but one can assume that it would be as a result of their close proximity to each other, or through Christiana seeking out Charles's services as a doctor. Over a short time, Christiana, who was now 31, was growing ever infatuated with Dr Beard, and her advances weren't completely rebuffed. However, Charles was a married man, and as such, this obviously made any public relationship highly scorned upon, and if the pair were caught, there would be some extreme consequences for Beard's business. Over the next 18 months, the relationship bubbled under the surface of the doctor's marriage, but racked with guilt at his infidelities, Charles decided to call an end to it and ask Christiana to stop writing to him as she was fond of sending him love notes. In order to get closer to the doctor, Christiana decided it was sensible to keep her enemy close and made friends with Emily, Charles's wife. One day, Christiana took around a box of chocolates for the two to share, and not soon after, Emily complained of stomach pains and then began vomiting. Christiana comforted her and said that she too was feeling a little peaky and went home to sleep it off. The next day, Charles confronted Christiana and accused her of poisoning his wife, and with that, he promptly and firmly put the final nail into the coffin of their relationship and told her to never contact him ever again. Christiana protested her innocence and said she never had anything to do with Emily being ill and said that she too was poisoned by the chocolate, but Charles wasn't convinced and said she needed to leave them both alone from now on. However, Christiana was not to be dismayed from her infatuation and before long she was once again writing to Charles, 
but now the letters were coming thick and fast to his home and also work address, despite him never responding to her correspondence. As the months went by, stories started to be whispered on the streets by locals that the sweet shop J.G. Maynard's was selling bad chocolate. A few of the locals that had bought confectionery from the shop were struck down by what seemed like food poisoning, but anyone who fell ill soon recovered. But when one holidaymaker and his nephew bought some sweets from the shop, both of them were struck down with the same mystery sickness, but the four-year-old boy passed away. Up until this point, no one had thought to investigate the occasional illness brought on by the chocolates, at a time when food poisoning was a fairly regular occurrence due to poor hygiene standards and food not being regulated, it was not unheard of for businesses to operate with some questionable practices when it came to food safety. But now, with a little boy dead, the authorities picked up on the caustic confectionery and began investigating. People were asked to come forward if they had any information about J.G. Maynard's, and one person that stepped forward was Christiana. She recounted her tale of falling ill from the sweets, and had said that some friends of hers had also suffered similar complaints after eating chocolate creams from the same confectioners. The chocolates on sale at Maynard's were seized and tested, and inside they were found to contain strychnine. Strychnine was a common household poison used mainly for killing rats and insects, but there were no regulations on how much you could buy of this, and for anyone wanting to off someone, it was a fairly easy way of doing so without getting caught. Strychnine could easily be masked with sweet foods as it had a bitter taste, but other than that, it was odourless and colourless, which made it very easy to disguise. Maynard himself was cleared, and the inquest couldn't discover why the chocolates may have contained strychnine, so the boy's death was written off as accidental. The shop was allowed to stay open, but for his own peace of mind, Maynard destroyed every last piece of stock he had, in order to eradicate any chance of this happening again. Thinking things were over, the authorities closed the book on the case, but then more poisonings began being reported. Whoever was carrying them out was now becoming merciless with their targeting. In order to bring awareness to the mystery poisoner, the police chief appealed to the Brightonians via the local newspaper in the hope that the perpetrator may be outed by a friend or relative, but no one came forward. On the 10th of August 1871, six small food parcels containing cakes and fruits arrived via post train from London. These parcels made their way to their addressees, which included the editor of the local newspaper, Dr Beard, and his wife, Christiana, and her neighbour, and they all bared the same message, which read, A few homemade cakes for the children. Those done up are flavoured on purpose for yourself to enjoy. You will guess who this is from. I can't mystify you, I fear. With such an ominous message and a poisoner on the loose, you would think they'd just be thrown straight in the bin, but apparently not. The parcels were tucked into by the newspaper editor, who soon suffered the effects of the tainted food and became ill. Emily Beard, however, was used to the semi-regular poisonings by this time and asked her servants to test the food before she would eat any. They got ill, so she disposed of it. 
The alarm was raised and the police came to take away the poisoned remnants, and when they arrived at Christiana's house, she'd not touched her parcel and handed it over to the police, saying she was certain they'd never get to the bottom of the mystery. Not long after the poisoned parcels had been collected as evidence, a letter arrived at Dr Beard's from Christiana. She took her time to write specifically about how dreadful it was that she and the Beards had so very nearly been poisoned yet again and how sad it was about the four-year-old boy that had died. These letters continued to drop on the doormat and were increasingly odd and mocking, leading to Dr Beard eventually heading to the police to voice his suspicions that Christiana might just be behind all the poisonings. Not only did Charles hand over the letters that he thought were a damning indictment on Christiana's character, but he also deposited the love letters that he'd been sent by her. This was a risky hand to gamble on, as if the police were to uncover that the two had been having an affair, he would have lost everything. But knowing him and his wife's life were at risk, he decided to hand it all over to the authorities. With this, the police corresponded with Christiana and awaited her response. The writing matched that of the letter in their possession, and she was arrested on suspicion of being the secret poisoner. When the police began to piece together the events, they discovered that Ms Edmonds had indeed been in London on the day when the parcels arrived via post train back to Brighton. In fact, she happened to be on the same train as those parcels. With enough evidence pointing to her as the poisoner, Christiana was put on trial, and it was then that all the pieces of the puzzle began to slot into place. As the key player in the case, Dr Beard testified about the poisoning his wife had endured when Christiana had brought around some chocolates, but the main grand reveal was from an errand boy who worked for Ms Edmonds. The errand boy was forthcoming in recounting that he'd been asked to go to pharmacies to collect prescriptions for her, and said they would often be under different names from her own, such as Mrs Wood. The pharmacist who supplied the strychnine also confirmed that he'd dealt with who he thought was Mrs Wood for the last four years, and she had, on a few occasions, purchased strychnine from him, on the premise that she was poisoning local stray cats that were annoying her. Back then, there were some checks that had to be done before such a strong poison could be handed over, but this mainly included just checking with someone else that had done business with them. A local hat maker assured the pharmacist that Mrs Wood was trustworthy, and as such, she was given enough poison to off as many stray cats as she wanted. The errand boy also confirmed that she would regularly purchase sweets from Maynards, and along with handwriting analysis which confirmed the Mrs Wood signature matched the handwriting on the parcels and the letters, she was convicted of the murder of the four-year-old boy, Sidney Barrett, and also other charges of poisoning were brought against her, but she was yet to be given a sentence. The parcels which were also analysed showed that they contained arsenic, and as such, this was used to prove that Christiana was now intent on killing everyone that had anything to do with the beards, and also knew about the poisoning of Sydney, and in turn, only condemned her further. Christiana was taken away from Brighton to be trialled, as any local jury would be too au fait with the case by now to give any impartial verdict. She was sent to Newgate Prison in London and trialled at the Old Bailey. 
The same damning evidence and testimonies that had played out in Brighton were heard at the Old Bailey, but with every minute spent in the dock, the net tightened around her. The jury heard how Christiana would ask the errand boy to return the sweets she'd purchased back to Maynard's, saying that she'd accidentally been given the wrong ones and to swap them at the shop, which he duly did. Everything suddenly slotted into place, and it was clear that Christiana had been systematically poisoning people for over four years. To aid in her defence, a psychologist, Henry Maudsley, was brought in to defend her, saying that she should be treated as morally defective and not as a standard criminal. Maudsley was enormously well respected in his field, and as such, his word was taken as gospel. Maudsley advised that Christiana be given a verdict of insanity which would save her from the noose. Christiana's mother also stood in her defence. After all, she had a good account of all the mental health struggles that had befallen her family over the years, trying to tug upon the jury's heartstrings and to get them to look upon Edmunds with a kinder eye than they may have done otherwise. Christiana, sensing that she was going to be heading for a guilty verdict, which would result in the death penalty, she decided that if she was going down, she was going to take Dr Beard with her. She requested that she be tried for charges of attempted murder against Mrs Beard in order for her to be able to expose the cheating doctor, but she wasn't allowed at this late stage to change the proceedings. The jury didn't take influence from Christiana's mother or Dr Maudsley, and they condemned Christiana as guilty, and as such, she would be sentenced to death by hanging. Perhaps inspired by defence of women previous to her when trying to save themselves from execution, Christiana said she was pregnant. Women were not allowed to be hanged whilst pregnant, which would have bought her an extra few months' reprieve. The court was then adjourned for an hour, as any woman in the courtroom or nearby were assembled to inspect Christiana, along with a doctor who was quickly called in to give the final verdict. Christiana wasn't pregnant, and the court was once again back in session, and the verdict was delivered that she would be executed. Christiana was then sent back to Brighton to be detained at Lewis Prison until her execution. However, behind the scenes, the medical evidence of her mental health issues had been picked up on by a top specialist at Broadmoor, a hospital for the criminally insane, and the Home Office also thought the verdict that was delivered was a little too harsh. Christiana was spared the noose and given life imprisonment at Broadmoor, as the Home Secretary decided that the verdict be overturned. The verdict change was given a mixed reception from the public, as people had very opposing opinions on whether Christiana should live or die for her crimes. Some people saw it as giving her an easy life, and them having to pay for her upkeep from their taxes, and others thought she was clearly in need of hospital treatment, instead of being put to death. Once in the hospital, one doctor wrote that he was never quite convinced that she was insane, but instead was prone to hysteria and incredibly vain choosing to dress up every day, rouging her cheeks. She was also told off for amassing a lot of false hair in her bedroom, which had been gifted to her by her sister, and she was constantly getting in trouble for using deception to get what she wanted against the staff. Eventually, her behaviour calmed down, 
and she relaxed into Broadmoor, becoming more privileged as the years went on for increasingly good behaviour. Christiana died on the hospital ward of Broadmoor at the age of 78, of old age. The life of Christiana was definitely a strange one. It's hard to know if this was a cold, calculated murderer, an extreme narcissist, or someone who just took revenge a few steps too far. Or if this was just a woman who suffered with some untreated mental health issues that were only exacerbated by those around her. Luckily for those in Brighton, Christiana couldn't help but incriminate herself due to her need to brag, which ultimately led to her downfall, which resulted in an extreme crime of passion. So this Valentine's Day, as you hand over your £20 note to buy your heart-shaped box of chocolates, spot the lighthouse upon it and be reminded of Christiana. And should you be the lucky recipient of some chocolate creams, then you may wish to get your servants to try them first. Who am I kidding? There aren't any servants around here. I guess we'll find out later if that's a problem. Thanks very much for joining me for that special Valentine's Day episode. I hope you enjoyed that tale. I still can't work out how I feel about Christiana and whether she was someone who was thwarted by love and committed a crime of passion or whether she was just a bit of a narcissist. I think it's probably a mixture of the two. Thank you for joining me. I've been Nikki Drews and I'll see you ghouls next time. 